I saw the whole deaf and dumb school healed en masse. And I turned around and I saw their teachers crying because they'd lost their job now. Joy is actually a skill. Contentment is actually a skill. These things come out of maturity. What I would say to my younger self, there is a life available for more joy and more meaning and more adventure and more satisfaction, but it's a life that you cannot get independently. Da da da, da da da, da 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 Blaine, da da Blaine podcast. Yeah, so it's Blaine here. Sam is not in the Anson's office yet. He's taking some time off for reasons we've mentioned. And I am just here in the Anson's chateau, perusing our line of fine European cars, trying to pick one to go to lunch in. But I thought before I do that, I should record a podcast and what we should do, you and I, something that Sam would not let us do. And what that means is talking about a topic where the rest of the Anson's team would say, no, 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 it's not interesting enough. Nobody cares about that. Even if that's true, it just so happens that today I'm the only one here. So your host this morning is Blaine. It's just you and me and your commute into work. And we're going to talk about a couple topics. And we're going to start with technology rules. It's no secret here that we're sort of Luddites, which were a group of people that went around destroying cotton mills in England. They were fighting the Industrial Revolution. You can see how well that went. Nonetheless, we are suspicious about the impacts of technology on our life. Sort of the opposite of that would be an ameliorist who just thought things got better or that new things were better. I don't think anybody actively identifies with that that I know, but a lot of people do tacitly. So, technology. Yes, we criticize it. Yes, we're a little wary of its power, but we still use it. So, what are some of the rules that you can use in your day-to-day life, hyper-tactical, in order to make sure you're engaging with technology well? Simpler is better. So, I think I have five here that I have sort of developed over the course of the last year. And the first one is super simple and maybe redundant. It is have technology rules. I know, I know. That's what we're talking about here. But still, this is a force that is so powerful that unless you pay attention, it's just slowly going to swallow your life. We know from what we've talked about in physiology and our response to stimulus that we, just as embodied beings, will pay attention to the next new thing and that we are driven by story and that we are fascinated by things that are sort of associated with the darker side of our nature as in advertising in The Seven Deadly Sins. So you have something here that is just going to incline to engulf your life. What are your rules? One of the simplest ones has to do with time listening to a podcast from my boy Tim Ferriss, who is probably not listening to this podcast that I know of, but maybe sets windows for himself where from the end of the workday to the start of the next workday, he's just inaccessible. His phone is on airplane mode. And if you use technology 24-7 all the time, the first thing to do would simply be 
You know what? Set yourself a calendar. When I get home, my phone goes on do not disturb. And then when my daughter goes to bed, it goes on airplane mode. And then at the start of the next workday, it comes off both of those things. So there's sort of this titration off technology as the day goes on. But definitely, screens all the time makes no sense. The next rule, this one is even simpler. And I'm actually just incorporating these under the banner of have technology rules. Uh, So these are all one thing, uh, is just resolve, never debate digitally. Yeah, let that sink in. Never debate digitally. I mean, social media, email and text messages. Everyone knows you have context collapse, so you don't actually know what's going on. There's some really fascinating things in language, which we'll get into later in this podcast, that indicate that language is part of this thing that we do in our bodies, and so we know that if a body is not there, we're sort of drained of the significance of what a person is saying. Never debate. So you're irritated with someone and you want to reply in a text message, your rule just goes, I do not have any digital debate. Wild though that may seem, you'll find it being extremely helpful. I think the thing that follows from this is, Well, what do you do? Because nobody wants to be a social bystander. So let's just say you're on an email thread or you're on social media and you see sort of the trolls going crazy. And by trolls, I mean often our friends trying to interact with one another around somebody's post. There's a super simple thing you can do. Just a line like this one. I don't agree. And I don't think this exchange is helping anyone. You guys have my number. If either of you want to get back together and talk about this, I'd love to. Something kind of magical happens when you do that. And you see that message assumes that the people that I'm interacting with online actually have my phone number because we know that people don't actually change via conversations that happen anonymously on the internet, don't change very often. So if you're actually invested in people, you are, to some extent, in the real territory of their lives. You want one that's even more radical in this don't have debates online. I will, if I see a debate happening, send someone a text message that goes, hey, saw that what just happened in Washington seemed to really upset you. Do you want to grab a coffee and talk about it? And suddenly... You just have all of the reality of the world, not the isolation of these sort of opinions clashing against one another. It's a game changer. Okay, so have technology rules, the simplest of which are probably have a clock and never debate online. Uh, And I mean this for text messages too. So you're frustrated with someone, even if you're trying to express disappointment, uh, text messages are sort of pathologically bad carriers of negative emotions besides crying faces. And you'll find this just sort of blowing your mind of, oh man, I really, what I wanted to get back when a person texted me was, that's not helpful, whatever, whatever, whatever. If you stop doing that, I guarantee you, you will notice a positive change in your relationships. Okay, number two, technology rules. So you have technology rules and I snuck A and B in under one. Now we're getting to the rules themselves. Uh, do screen-free days. The Stoics defined addiction as the loss of the ability to abstain. This is pretty simple for those of us that are coffee drinkers, where we love a cup of coffee in the morning. Next thing you know, you cannot start your day without caffeine. So you start actually by loving something, and then you become bound with it. Little rabbit trail. There's a concept called an 
otaku. That's a mispronunciation of a Japanese word, which can mean passion. And some people, like Seth Godin, talk about how your otaku is your obsession. It's the thing that drives you, and you cannot have a business for something for which you do not have an otaku. But other scholars, like Mako Fujimura, the artist, identifies this other dimension of otaku, which is actually the concept of a crutch or a dependency. And so it's very easy for the things that you love to actually become things that you are dependent on or bound to, you can't separate yourself from. If you cannot do a screen-free day, you have a problem. This is a great thing to do, by the way, across arenas in your life. Depriving yourself of things that you like to see what is the quality of your life without them. Can you do a day or week without a beer? Can you do a day or week without any podcasts? Even this one. Can you do a day or week without needing the next television show? Do screen-free days. I recommend Saturday. Extremely helpful. Gives you back some of that power to abstain, which lets you know that you are choosing rather than being compelled into technology. Number three, be specific about what the channel is doing for you. So channels, we're talking about communication mediums. That can be a podcast. That can be a YouTube video. That can be the email you allow. So the different channels that you have open to you, the media that you're consuming, social media is a channel. It's a wonderful thing to look at. Just let's take podcasts for it. Let's just take podcasts, for example, and go, okay, what do I actually love in podcasts? Okay, what am I, what am I after there? And then I'll, I'll sort of list out the positive and negative things that I'm after. Education, connection, reminders, and then this other one of distraction, stimulus, noise. And when I, when I was pretty clear about Actually, what I love podcasts for is story, and I can get most of that from the podcast radio lab. I'm after connection in this field of being a writer. I'm not a screenwriter, but the Q&A with Jeff Goldsmith is actually one of my favorites because you just hear people talking about the craft of solving problems with scenes and with language and with writing. And then there's this thing about sort of improvement and why do you need multiple podcasts about mastery Obviously, I've mentioned I'm a Tim Ferriss podcast listener. None of these guys probably know about these shout-outs. Still, what it did was I took this list, and then I narrowed it down to three podcasts. I'm not counting this one or the Ransom Tart one because I listen to those as part of work. Still, what's the channel doing? Can you cut down? Most people listen to a podcast specific to their profession. Most people listen to a podcast that's connected with their interests, like Barbell Shrugged, if you're a CrossFitter. I also like that one, but I don't listen to it. And beyond that, you begin just getting a lot of clutter in, simply because there's a lot of good podcasts. Doesn't necessarily mean you should consume them all. So being specific about what the channel is doing for you. This is pretty interesting. So if you go, okay, news. What is news doing for you? For most people, news is about story. That's at least part for me. Now we're going to get to the other dimensions of it, but let's just assume that news is this craving in us to be told stories, to hear stories going on around us. And for many reasons, including uh, the desensitizing that happens when you listen to news all the time or read news all the time, the 
decrease of empathy, the increase of cortisol. It has all these physiological things that have real impacts on your relationships. News, not a good receptacle for that desire for story. You can actually scratch that itch by picking up. I'm going to go ahead and recommend uh, novels and audiobooks. If you actually plug that in on the site, even that you listen to some podcasts or even that you read news, you're going to see this shift happen. I think one of the reasons that people don't do that, by the way, is that novels are sort of, I don't know, highfalutin, or the ones that are supposed to be good are hard to get into. C.S. Lewis has a great essay on that called The Lilies That Fester, where he simply observes that the problem is when you are trying to be perceived as the person that likes culture, that likes novels, then this thing gets in, which is actually about posturing and pride. He has this other thing, which is the ability to enjoy, which is a basic need of the heart. It's a basic quality of a person. It's their ability to enjoy things. And Lewis writes specifically that he feels better about the boy reading sci-fi on the bus than the person who is really into the most recent high culture novel simply because they want to be seen as a person who loves the most recent high culture novels. So if it's about story, uh, I don't know. How about Brandon Sanderson and some of his fantasy work? Those novels, pretty dang engrossing. I have a buddy that listens to Star Wars audiobooks in the car simply for that need to engage story. And he actually has a phenomenal life. Dude, dude is a youth pastor, and he has a very alive soul. Okay, so that, that's if news is a bad story. If news is about engaging your world, this desire to be sort of up-to-date, well, it's not a secret that I don't think that's very valuable for most people if it's actually not connected with any change in your experience. Because the more you know, you know, there's sort of this inundation, you become sort of less and less likely. There's not a tipping point of news at which you suddenly are compelled to behave differently. So what is a better way to actually engage your world? Really fun one. We're going to return to audiobooks here. Biographies of world leaders. Let's say you want to be someone who knows what the heck is going on. I'd like to be someone who knows what the heck is going on, but I'm never going to turn on my news app for that because not much of it is very relevant and because news works by selling your attention to advertisers. If you're not paying for news, then the product isn't news. The product is your attention. Let's stop right there and just make this point super clear. All of the free news sources in your world, how do they make their money? Do they make it by doing journalism? No, no one pays for journalism. What people pay for is people to read journalism and then be sold bikes and outdoor gear and all kinds of other things. So that changes the way that people are incentivized to make news. If you want to support a free press, pay for a newspaper. It's like a super basic democratic skill. But if you think that the news is just selflessly serving you by creating stories, no, 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 no. And if you want to know how true that is, Ryan Holiday's book, Confessions of a Media Manipulator, which we will return to at another time, that would be a great one to sort of uh, disillusion you about engaging the world via news. Okay, so what do you do? Why I love biographies about world leaders is because they give you this incredible context of things happen relationally. You know, your, your politics comes from hopefully your polis, which eventually comes from, you know, your people or interest group. And you have 
these stories that shape your understanding of what's going on through the interaction of leading people or through the interaction of leading groups or crisis. Really interesting. You want to be up to date in the world via news. That's what that channel is doing. I would steer that another direction and just go, who are the three or four leaders right now or sort of people in the news? Find, the, find a biography about them. Read it. I have an aunt who, every election cycle, what she just does is read a biography on each of the candidates. And that's how she ends up making her decision, which is one of the best ways to make that decision, I've heard. All right, so that's the channel of news. Channel of social media. Really interesting all the things that does for people. One of them is simply discovery. It's being exposed to the new. Okay, what are some ways that I would recommend that are better to do that? Uh, The first one, highest barrier of entry, because maybe you don't know where your library is. When was the last time you wandered a library and, like, looked at books? It can be really fun. Even if you're just reading the jacket, this idea of, you know, strolling through, there's an interesting cookbook, there's an interesting history, there's an interesting novel, there's an interesting book of computing, and maybe you don't quite get it, but you're still sort of being exposed to the new. Obviously, that one's a little uh, more difficult to do. It assumes that you have a good library near you or a favorite library. One that's a little easier and really fun if sort of social media is doing that exposure to the new thing for you. So make a list. Five people that you respect. Five people in your world that you currently think of and that you currently think of as interesting. Email them and ask them just a series of questions. Book they're recently enjoying, film they recommend most often, restaurant they love in town pastime, like painting or guitar or trail running, interests them the most? What artist or musician is captivating them? Just start with that list. One, you have a positive thing happen, which is real relationship being established. And you'll often be directed to more high-quality stuff. I love doing that, especially with people who I go, wow, you're a really talented artist who has an eye for great work in the art world. Who are artists that you would turn me on to? Are there galleries in town? You know, social media offloads the work of discovery onto a huge group of people, but then you have all the negative consequences of that. If you can sort of share the work of discovery in your area, it can be much better. So another thing that social media does that's pretty basic is relief. This is the, you can't do your work, your mind feels cluttered, let me just scroll through. I'm going to make up a statistic and say that at least half of social media activity happens this way. If the need is for relief, uh, man, the first thing that has the best immediate effect for people is go sit outside for 30 minutes. That will actually uh, do things in your brain that are better. Uh, Movement, way better. Asking yourself what things you enjoy before you're tired. At the end of the day, or even by the middle of the afternoon, it's sort of, you just don't have the energy to come up with, what I love is this kind of book, this kind of coffee shop, this kind of walk, this kind of Friday ice cream cone. Like, there's lots of things available. This kind of walking through Home Depot to plan projects, this kind of looking at 
you know, the backpacks at REI to inspire my summer. But if you actually are asking yourself that, you sort of have this reservoir of things you can go to that are actually are going to do that before you're tired. Super simple recommendation. If social media is about relief and, you know, I think it can start to seem like if you're committed to the life of initiation, you just become this rigid disciplinarian. Not necessarily true at all. You know, it's like, no, we, we're fine with relief and the great beer and the great hike, the dumb movie, but that you really enjoy. There's, it's not so serious all the time, uh, but a relief thing that works super well that's in the not-so-serious realm. Cooking shows. Yeah. Yeah. Digest that one for a minute. I'm talking about, I think it's called The Great British Bake Off. Certain members of the Eldridge family, to remain anonymous, are into that one. Obviously things like Chef's Table. But sort of the relief that's provided by watching this craft, the value of which you can identify as an eater, but the nature of which you don't necessarily need to understand because you don't cook, kind of provides this off switch for many people, not the only person that recommends that. If social media, if your social media use is about connection, it's often the profound sense of alienation that we are trying pretty unsuccessfully most of the time to fix with technology. Here's some things that I would say. The first is that relationship is requiring. Among all the other things it is, life-giving, necessary, wonderful, it sort of is intrinsically requiring. If nothing is being required of you, you can say, I'm not in a relationship, therefore this is never going to satisfy my relational need. I'm going to give that one to you again. If it's not hard, then you're not in a relationship and it's never going to satisfy your relational need. It might satisfy some other need, like stimulus, but not the deep need for intimacy for which we were designed. So here's some things that are a little bit harder, but they do satisfy the connection thing. I have friends that do planned, spontaneous phone calls. I know, that's a contradiction in terms. Nonetheless, one, it's his walk to work, and he just knows that most people in sort of the 7.30 to 8.30 window are free, and he calls for a two-minute call. Sometimes it goes, you know, 5.10, but the point is just, hey, I'm walking to work. What are you up to today? How are you doing? I was thinking about that thing you said. You ought to check this out. Just, just a slight touch-in. If you know we're made for life and community, not all of our rhythms allow us just to bump in to our friends like that. That is a great one. Another one is writing a message. Again, the ease thing. You know, if what you're doing is liking a photo, you will probably succeed in triggering a slight oxytocin response in a person. You might even get one. Doesn't follow that relationship is going to be built. Uh, I would say just. The most basic thing you could do is just to use the message writing functions. I'm a bigger fan of emailing back and forth because there's a level of focus there. It's not accidental. Still, just raise the barrier of entry a little bit relationally. I think you'll find it doing wonderful things. So all of that was under be specific about what the channel is doing for you. Number four is what we were already talking about. See if the channel fits the goal. So... You know, we have these needs, education, discovery, connection, mastery, and then we put those 
on the various technologies to which we have access. We try to use them as tools to achieve those ends. Technology is varied. Social media tools, and not just social media tools, but all connect, all digital connectivity has a specific character. So, you know, screwdrivers, hammers. You would not use a screwdriver to pull out a nail, but a claw hammer is great at doing that. Different channels are designed to do different things. And the problem is that we don't discriminate. So social media, notoriously bad at creating intimacy between people. The internet article, notoriously bad at creating change in people. The post, notoriously bad at educating. Nonetheless, we try to be educated by, by a post. And we try to change people with tossing up an article. And we try to connect on social media. What would be another way to approach your technology? First of all, this assumes that you're choosing these things for a reason, or that I am choosing these things for a reason. Realize I've been slinging a lot of stones here, so just to kind of up my confessional threshold. When my daughter goes to bed and I start watching Saturday Night Live YouTube videos, I'm not thinking of, you know what I want right now is some humor. It just happens. I just want something. Or when I'm driving in the car and I just reach to hit play on a podcast, I'm not thinking, What I want is education. What I want is a story. I just want something. And I identify this. This is not good. Stimulus is not inherently positive. And in fact, it distracts us, which is inherently negative. Distraction, not a positive thing. So if we're going to be specific about the channels fitting the goals, that means doing some thinking about what some of our goals are and what we are moving towards rather than just liking consuming. I like that various digital moguls recommend doing sort of digital fasts at the beginning of a period of intentional engagement where before you can really choose the audiobooks you're going to listen to, first you got to sort of just cut everything. Cut everything for a while, then begin picking up pieces one at a time after you've reflected upon what you want to use them for. Super helpful to start with. You know what? The next week, to be very conservative, I was going to say two weeks, but we're going to go simpler. I'm just not going to do social media. I'm not going to do podcasts. I'm not going to scroll through YouTube on my phone. I'm going to do some serious digital asceticism, and then I'm going to look at things that I actually care about, and I'm going to pick up digital media technologies, various things, to begin engaging those. One motive to engage media, learning. We are curious as human beings. Learning is positive. We're built to sort of grow into the world. Podcasts are great for that. Audiobooks are even better for that. So there's this need in us which gets farmed out to other things, but learning, big one. What are some podcasts that would fascinate you? What are audiobooks on some topics you'd really enjoy? Another place that I actually think connectivity works is in interests. I like to do triathlon. Not everybody around me does. And there's the ability, you know, to jump on YouTube and watch 30 minutes of triathlon videos and come up really kind of further enjoying the sport. Obviously, there are limits there, major limits there. I think it would not be accurate for a reason we're going to get to in a minute to call interest groups on the internet communities, the online community of mountain bikers, the online community of whatever it is. But you can call them, you know, consortiums or convocations, and those are incredibly helpful. So things that you love, that that you're looking to keep alive in you, uh, 
all kinds of technologies can be useful for that if you already like the thing and are looking to dive deeper in. Connection. Oh, the connection need. Well, first of all, let's all just agree it can't actually be satisfied online ever. It might not even be able to be scratched online ever. It might just be these surrogate things or these peripheral things that are scratched and we end up believing that we've had a connecting experience. But the one exception I might make would be if you want to see one of the last civil places on the internet, go to a forum of basically any specific trade. Go to, you know, a mechanics forum or a bow hunters forum or all these things that exist. Really, all these things out of which the internet grew. These are sort of the original cities, the original monuments. And watch the way that conversations happen and that dialogue happens and information is exchanged there. It can be pretty awesome. Of course, that assumes that you have enough mastery of an of course, that assumes that you know enough about an area to actually show up on the forum. That assumes that you're sufficiently engaged in an area where anything on something like that would be meaningful to me. And then, you know, I actually... Here's an interesting one. Most other media is basically advertising, which is great if you're an advertiser. All right, last last media rule and or observation. All the people I know who use technology well know the season that they're in really well. So I think of, you know, a mom in our community who is on Facebook, but she uses it to post parenting updates and to connect with moms and to talk about her life. And she has a real season being a mom and a real audience of people that she wants to engage, moms, and she uses this medium to effectively engage them. But she knows what her life is about right now. I know an artist who is specifically developing his craft, living in the city that he's living in in order to develop that craft. It comes out of his life with God. And he connects with other artists via the visual Instagram. Again, he's able to use this power amplifying technology well because he knows the direction the power should be amplified in because he knows his season. So a great thing to start with is, what are you about right now? What are your priorities, dreams, desires, journey? It's really helpful to frame these things sort of regularly. Maybe you're building a business. Maybe you're diving into your community. Maybe you're spending more time with God. Maybe you're developing the cowboy, warrior, adventurer. What is the season that you're in? And then you can ask So you have existent priorities, and then you can make technology serve them. This is a basic inversion of the existent situation where people serve their technology. Their technology does not serve them. And as we know about all tools, good servants, bad master. You know, to wrap up our technology segment, here's an important thing you can do with all of the ways that you use technology. All of the ways that I use technology. There have been a lot of you here, and I recognize that that's problematic. But I love to ask... What would this look like if it were hard? People solving business problems ask the opposite question. Super valuable. Talking about my boy Tim Ferriss again. Keeps coming up today. But he'll ask, what would this look like if it were easy? This is a great thing to do on like a work-related project, but not on things for which there aren't shortcuts 
like most of the things that people use digital and other technologies for. I mean, a stamp is a technology, but we already got into that in another episode. So what would this look like if it were hard? Just look at the things you use technology for. It's a, it's a wonderful practice. And this isn't necessarily a digital or a social media or a phone example, but, you know, I love cooking. And it's kind of recommended and it's growing between chefs to do everything the hardest way at least one time. It changes the way that you make decisions about it if you hunt the animal, if you process the animal yourself, if you age and then treat and then do everything in the most difficult way. It changes your worldview. It changes the way that you make decisions. The way that I eat meat is absolutely informed by chasing elk through the Colorado backcountry. The way that I cook with eggs was informed by raising chickens, another cooking example. So some of the things that we've mentioned that people use technology for uh, to make them hard, let's talk about relief, where I've already recommended cooking shows, and I stand by that. But if you go, wow, what would this look like if it were hard? It's 5 o'clock in the afternoon. What you want to do is whip out the telephone, start scrolling through something. But instead, what if you had a rhythm that actually provided rest for your soul? This was a game changer for me last year. I've mentioned it before. But Em and I realized that the hardest thing that we could do for rest, that we could take one full day during the week, Saturdays, when most things happen, and take the entire day off as Sabbath. We don't really accept invitations. We don't accept invitations at all. And we don't invite people over. And we don't even do very many house-related projects. The goal is just downtime, slowing down. It's the hardest way to actually experience relief. But it fills us to the point where we can engage the rest of our week. Think about information. I love looking at information and all the free information that circulates so excessively out there and go... What would this look like if it were as hard as possible? Not everybody has the ability, for example, to be a journalist, but it's really worth asking, how is the information about the world sort of collected and then presented? I've never actually done this one, but I had friends in Spokane who took the time to request a meeting with the mayor, took forever, and then have a sit down and a conversation about the city's issues, and then talk about the things that were being done about it. It was just incredible. They made their own information. They made their own news. So if there are things that seem really easy, like getting the next article, you can ask, what would this look like if it were hard? It might look like going to have a conversation with a person who is an expert. That's an awesome one, uh, you know, when you're looking for information on. I'm going to return to triathlon because this is the only one that I've recently done. But you can Google training plans or how to run faster or triathlon tips. It's a whole different ballgame to sort of go into a running store and ask a guy, hey, this is my problem. Trying to run in this way. I'm experiencing these problems. What would you do? You're making it harder. You're raising the barrier of entry because you have to find a running store. You have to talk to a real human being. You have to spend an afternoon doing it, but you end up with something that is way more valuable. Across the board, How could I make this hard? What is the hardest way I could do this is a wonderful question that you can ask for your soul. 